Hello, and welcome to the AAMFT Podcast, your all-access pass to the latest news developments and thought leaders in the world of systemic therapy. We strive to relate, educate, and innovate one episode at a time. I'm your host, Dr. Eli Karam, and we're brought to you by the American Association for Marriage and Family Therapy. Our podcast explores topics that relationship-based therapists care about. In addition to featuring unique conversations and interviews with established experts, our show provides information and education on direct practice and emerging trends in the MFT profession. For more information, please visit us at aamft.org. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hey, greetings and welcome back for episode four of the AAMFT podcast been loving hearing from all of our listeners out there with lots of good feedback and supportive words for our first three installments that have focused on really in-depth, intimate, person-of-the-therapist interviews with some pioneers in the field. And you can go back uh, in the archives if you haven't had a chance to listen and listen to our interviews with Sue Johnson and David Snarch. What we strive to bring you on the podcast is also innovations in the field of MFT. And that is through specific content areas as we'll be getting to in the weeks to come, but also what's going on in the AMFT itself. Uh, you know, many listeners out there are members, whether that be students, preclinical fellows, clinical fellows, but you don't have to be a member to enjoy this podcast. So there's about half of MFTs in the country that don't belong to AMFT. So today's episode is all about the new AMFT. What is going on with new programs, including topical interest networks and innovations kind of moving the field forward? And no better person to do that today than AAMFT CEO, Dr. Tracy Todd. Tracy Todd is a licensed marriage and family therapist and has been with the AAMFT since 2008. He received his PhD from Iowa State University and his master's from Texas Tech. Prior to joining the staff of AAMFT, Tracy was the director and owner of the Brief Therapy Institute of Denver. He's written books about private practice, and he served on the AAMFT Board of Directors, and has even been the recipient of the AAMFT Practice Award back in 2000. In his limited spare time, Tracy loves playing tennis and supporting his favorite team, the Green Bay Packers. So we hope you enjoy this interview and learn about what the new AAMFT has to offer for you. All right, I am pleased to be joined here on the AMFT podcast with the American Association for Marriage and Family Therapy CEO, Dr. Tracy Todd. First of all, tell us exactly, it's kind of nebulous, what does a CEO of the American Association of Marriage and Family Therapy do exactly? <laughs> well, that's a good question, and some days I don't know the answer. Um, well, as the CEO, my job is to technically execute what the board has set out as the strategic direction of AAMFT. So when the board takes makes motions and takes actions, that's at the strategic level. And then my job is to figure out how to execute it. So I'm in charge of the operations how it happens, the board sets the strategic direction. That is in the most general sense what I do. What a lot of people don't know is that 
AMFT is uh, a rather large now uh, corporation. We not only have the association, but we also have a foundation. We have a property corporation because we own the building and we have people who rent from us. So there's a lot that I have to oversee. Never thought I'd be a landlord and have to manage, you know, two floors of professional tenants. So there's a lot there, but at the at the core, it's basically to execute the strategic plan of the AMFT Board of Directors. Many organizations have people come from the outside that do not have a background anywhere commensurate with what they'll be doing. So talk about, I like, I like for our listeners to learn kind of the uh, the person, the, we're relational people by nature as, as marriage and family therapists, so the person behind the title. So talk about uh, just a little bit about your background in MFT and how that gravitated uh, towards doing what you're doing now. Well, I be I was a student member of AAMFT way back in the 80s uh, and then became at that time a clinical member um, and basically, you know, enjoyed all the membership privileges and was excited about all of the conferences and participated in all of that. Throughout the 90s, my role changed a bit. I was a frequent presenter for AMFT, particularly during their clinical institutes, a lot on the business development of a practice, managed healthcare, uh, things like that to help our members really adapt at a time that was a big transition for the business side of um, the practice, if you will. And that's what I did in the 90s. At 2002, I believe it was, I became uh, a board member and I served on the AMFT board. Uh, and I also, interestingly enough, back when I was a student member, I was a regional uh, representative. I think it was Region 3 or Region 6 uh, student representative to the board. And that was interesting. So I had been a student member, I have been a clinical fellow, I was uh, in governance as a student member, and then I became in governance as a board member in 2002 to 2005, and then in 2008, I joined AAMFT as the Director of Professional and Public Relations. And that came about because I was called by AMFT and they asked, would you be interested in this? Uh, and I had uh, you know, a long-standing history of working with AMFT as a consultant or as a trainer. And then in 2013, uh, basically became the CEO of AAMFT. So I have seen I think just about every nook and cranny there is to see of AMFT. And then on the LMFT side, I was in private practice uh, in Denver, Colorado, and spent probably half my time seeing clients and the other half my time either hosting uh, trainings or I was a frequent uh, trainer for various state uh, and regional conferences. So a lot of that was spent doing that and then in the process wrote a couple of books on the business, if you will, of uh, private practice. So I think I've seen pretty much the, what there is to see as being an MFT and I have participated in pretty much all of that. Tell me about what you're most proud of in the last five years as far as accomplishments for the association before we get to what's coming up on the horizon. In the last five years, the things that I'm probably most proud of, there's probably two things. Um, I think that 
I, I am very, very pleased about. Uh, first and foremost was really winning the lawsuit against the Texas Medical Association. Um, even though all we did on our end, I shouldn't say all we did, there was more than with that, but we you know, financially supported and fought that lawsuit that really was a threat to the profession, not only in Texas, but throughout the United States and in other countries potentially, because it questioned uh, our scope of practice. It questioned whether we could use the DSM in essence. Um, and while people may dispute whether we should use the DSM or not, to be told you cannot use it is a very different thing. So I think that that is one thing that I am I am very, very happy about. Uh, we spent a lot of hours here in the office and there were many nights that I had piles of textbooks here and going through them and being able to write back responses to our attorneys that they knew what the questions would be and the challenges would be and giving them that information, uh, going through those books and trying to figure out arguments that our attorneys could use. And then having it in the end, uh, after many, many years, uh, fall on our side to have the Texas Supreme Court rule in our favor. So that is probably big because that that was for the entire profession. That wasn't just for AMFT. That was for all the LMFTs out there. And I think that was one big thing. I think the second thing was um, having a very progressive board. And we still have a very progressive board. And that started in about 2012, 13, 14, right in there. That really was invested in what are the best associations doing? What are best practices for associations? And having a board wanting to have that information and to be able to say, here is what they are doing and why. And so that led to a lot of, if you will, peeling back of the onion uh, and taking a hard look at the internal workings of AMFT and uh, were certain things necessary to be doing and other things not so necessary. And when you peel back those onion, that la those layers, I mean, I know there's a lot of people who might still have a bit of heartburn about the bylaws vote that basically restructured AMFT, which eliminated the mandatory uh, dues for state divisions. That's in essence what it did. But and, and, I, and I know that there are people upset about that. I get that. But the whole program now that we've had a couple of years behind us was really built on, you know, straws, uh, uh, toothpicks even. It was ready to collapse. And in some cases, it was collapsing many years ago. So to get that restructured, and we've got a long way to go to get through this transition, and there will be hiccups, there will be bumps in the road, and there will be challenges. But I'm really happy about that because that took AMFT out of a really antiquated system based on geography. And we all know that the world is much more interconnected. We are not living in little corners and pockets uh, in isolation. We are interacting with folks all over the, the, the world. And so to be divided up by geography was not a good position for AMFT. We weren't in a position of strength. And to move into topical interest networks where we could, and when I say we, I'm talking about AMFT, this office could actually begin to access the wealth of information, skill, and knowledge that our members have. And we could access that in a really productive and organized manner is 
just so relieving to be able to say, you know, in a couple of years, we can look at an interest network and say, listen, this is what's going on from an advocacy point of view. What can you tell us? And to have our members who are the true experts, the true subject matter experts, the ones who are in the know, be able to give that information to us so that we can do advocacy work so that we can do just about, uh, we can do a lot more because what we are doing is getting content from the people we need to get the content from and that's our members. So I'm, I'm extremely pleased by that because it is now something where we are truly accessing and engaging the members who hold that expertise. What are these topical interest networks? Um, what are the ones that when my membership comes to turn to renew and I have a choice now and I'm not no, no longer having just uh, having to pay a two-tiered membership, as you said, is antiquated and out of date. What are the topical interest networks I will be uh, able to choose from if I'm an AMFT member at any level, whether it be student, preclinical fellow, clinical fellow? What will be my choices? Well, currently we have several and we'll always be adding, so I don't want this to sound like it's limited in any way. What we currently have are uh, topical networks on couples and intimate relationships. Right now, that is like really the number one. People are joining that left and right. Uh, family therapists in healthcare settings, family therapists in the schools, MFTs working in trauma, queer and trans advocacy network, systemic perspective across the lifespan, telehealth and technology, and working with military personnel and their families are our current topical interest networks that um, have launched. Now, how, how would I be a part of this, uh, Tracy, if I want to get on board with one of these topical interest networks? Well, the first thing I would suggest doing, and, and this is a work in progress on our end, so it's probably a moving target, is to jump on the website and to see at what status are the networks and when and can you just join online and I say that you know it's a moving target because all of these are uh, unique in their developmental stage and where they're ready to take members and what are they uh, prepared to do so you have to basically look online there's a web page dedicated to that and you can see how the process is to join a particular interest network now if there's nothing there and don't have your question answered certainly call our membership department and they'll be able to guide you through that but as we as I said there will be hiccups and transitions and things like that as we are working with slowly eliminating the the dues uh, programming that was for divisions we've had to add programming for the interest networks and some of that is in our control and some of that is you know third-party vendors so I'm always cautious to say this is the one way but the one way that we can always make sure that you can join is by con contacting just picking up the phone and calling uh, the membership number and uh, talk to some one of our our staff and they'll be happy to help you and you will obviously be hearing about those interest networks on this podcast in addition to the AAMFT uh, news that comes out into your email several times a month. So uh, this is a really exciting thing. And it really, uh, coming back to these words, member choice, member engagement, I mean, the interest networks uh, that will rise to the top are the ones that are, are the most uh, clinically relevant to our members. So it's kind of a natural way of uh, our membership in the field deciding what is the most important thing at the time, right, Tracy? 
Absolutely. I mean, some of these interest networks certainly will come today and be here and be strong for several years, and then they'll probably disappear. They'll have had a life cycle, uh, as like anything does, and then there will be a new interest network. Uh, the field is always progressing, so there will be things that come and go. And that's the nice part of having uh, an interest network system where people can you know, apply annually to say we would like to have a network and they get the network up and launched and our component evaluation committee can actually help guide them through that process. So it is a, it's very exciting because you are always staying current with what the trends are and it basically is a product for the members by the members because if you have several members saying we want to develop this interest this clinical interest uh, they can go through the steps they can apply and then it's a matter of you know can they execute it so it's really you know amft will play a little bit of the quarterback and matchmaking but it's really a product of member engagement as you said Eli it's that member involvement which now you have members being involved with what they want to be involved with rather than being involved with something that they had to be involved with uh, what other things coming up as far as opportunities for members are you excited about uh, that will be uh, rolling out shortly uh, well there's a couple of things that's a that's a really good question because we are trying to emerge and evolve uh, to be very relevant to our members in terms of what we have to offer for benefits. And I think one of those areas that I'm extremely excited about and have seen wonderful growth is the Leadership Symposium, uh, in usually held in about March. And that has that has grown and the comments about the Leadership Symposium from those who are attending are just through the roof so positive because it's a nice intimate group and everybody is there to develop their leadership skills. It's not a lot of clinical talk. It's really about a self-reflection. Uh, what leadership skills do you need to develop? What are the opportunities to do so? And a lot of great networking. And that is one area that I was hoping would take off. I just didn't, I, I clearly underestimated hitting a nerve and having people have that resonate with so many members when they come in to that meeting into the symposium and the excitement that they bring in and when they leave the work that they're doing it is fantastic so the leadership symposium and the leadership uh, certificate program is one area that has uh, pleasantly surprised me it has I, I thought it would be successful I just didn't realize that there was a, this void in our met by our members feeling that they needed to get some leadership skills and they wanted it and now to have that all come to fruition is nice to see and i'm i'm very hopeful it will continue to grow every indicator says it will so uh, that is what i'm excited about uh, young professionals they graduate from their mft master's programs and they know they know they don't want a phd which is essentially an academic or research degree but they still there's a piece of their development and a, a sense of collegiality that they that they did not or that they miss after their graduate experience that they need to fully professionalize. So this leadership certificate, and many of our listeners may not know about it, but it has, again, been one of your innovations and something uh, taking part in that program and the mentor side of it, I think, has been really, 
really outstanding. And it's an opportunity out there for young professionals that don't want, uh, uh, you know, don't want a PhD or not in the, the, the market for that, but still want more seasoning and development. Talk about that. And again, um, what your hope for that is. And if I want to learn more about that, if I'm a young professional listening to this, how do I know, learn more about this leadership certificate? Well, the leadership symposium and certificate uh, we should have, I mean, at any given time, we're always changing things out on the website, but there, there's a good description there of that. And certainly again, calling or even dropping me an email on that one, because I can certainly get you in touch with uh, the various people who are involved in the leadership symposium, because people come in with very different ideas about uh, what they want to develop. So we, we've we had to be a little bit more broad in how, uh, in the staff, as well as the mentors who are involved in this program. So I think that that's how to get in touch with us and, and to be able to do that. I think the, the part that resonates as you hit upon we hear all the time the phrase, they never taught us this in graduate school. And it doesn't matter if it's PhD or master's. And that's because that's not the purpose of graduate school. <laughs> graduate school is to teach you to be a good clinician. Uh, what this does is really helps those that are looking to advance in whatever context, whether it's in a private practice and they want to run a private practice or they're in an agency or wherever we've had academics, wherever their settings are at, people want to have more so that they can advance not only themselves, but we have a fair share of members who get very disturbed when they see other professions at the leadership helm and MFT interests aren't being, you know, taken to heart. So we have members wanting to get into those leadership positions. And that's that's wonderful to hear. So that's where I think for our younger member, in, I mean younger in terms of development, uh, someone who's just graduated from uh, a master's or a PhD program, I think that really fills a niche if they're looking to advance not only themselves in the profession, but also if they're helping to advance the overall profession of marriage and family therapy. All right. What else? I mean, you got so much stuff here. Goes. What else has really, <laughs> really got you excited coming up? Are you on the lookout for quality MFT CEUs? Did you miss a session from our last annual conference? Well, if so, Tenio is the place for you. Tenio, that's Latin for to understand, and it's AAMFT's online learning system, providing you access to hours of online education related to various topics with a focus on systems and relational therapies. Tenio is a great resource for MFTs and other mental health professionals seeking continuing education credits. And these courses help meet the needs of busy mental health professionals and can be accessed, started, paused, and completed at any time. The topics just added range from how to integrate new technology into your practice, managing sexual feelings, and the highly popular keynote presentation from the 2018 conference, 13 Reasons Why Not. In total, there's over 14 new courses to choose from. They're available now, so please make sure to visit www.aamft.org learning. That's aamft.org learning and purchase a course today.
Uh, what else has really got our attention is something that we are investing heavily in, uh, partly because it's exciting, partly because we know we need to, and partly because we've got to play catch-up to some other professions. Uh, and that is the area of simulation. If I talk about flight simulators, everybody knows what a flight simulator is. Um, but simulation has gotten to be very sophisticated now. I mean, people who are in med school are engaging in simulated surgeries many, many hundreds of times before they actually do a surgery so that they are well-practiced and they can you know, program the simulation to have things go wrong so that they can practice what something going wrong, a catastrophic event. So simulation has started to really boom and has been booming in other professions. HR, it has been around for at least 10, 15 years. Uh, hospitality, it's been around for customer service for a long time. But it's starting to now be part of the behavioral health arena. And there are agencies that specialize in trauma who now you send their clinicians to a simulator. And there's actually other behavioral health groups out there that are looking at how to regulate and have simulation as part of continuing education, licensing, etc. Now it's very much on the front end, but it is happening and it will continue to happen as simulation um, becomes more accepted as a very positive and productive training tool. So AMFT has been exploring this. We actually are going to be partnering with a university and we will be offering simulation for our university programs as well as the interest networks. And this, in the brand of simulation, when we talk about simulation, we use what's called mixed reality simulation. So the therapist can be in a room, and I actually did the simulation, which was really, really fun and uh, a little nerve-wracking, to be honest, because I hadn't seen a client in 10 years. So it was uh, rather fun. But you have an avatar on a screen, and that avatar is actually an actor or actress uh, playing that role who is extremely knowledgeable in mental health issues. So if it is, for example, substance abuse or depression, and I'm the therapist and I'm doing an assessment, I have to do this assessment with someone who is playing that role very well. And I can then see what I need to work on based on an instructor who's present because the the simulation has what we call embedded learning events. And in the one that I was doing, one of the events was is to discover that the client's uh, wife had passed away. And the client was being very evasive, was a mandated client to treatment, etc. So as soon as I hit and did that and accomplished that embedded learning event, the quote-unquote instructor said, okay, we can stop, and now let's talk about what you went through in the simulator. And then we've gone and watched classes uh, use the simulation also. And the big thing about simulation is it allows you to fail. If you think about role plays, role plays, you know, it's your, it's your peer. They're going to be easy on you. Um, and they oftentimes aren't real engaging, and you kind of laugh and chuckle about them. Uh, if you use real clients, then you have to be careful because the client is always the first uh, focal point to make sure nothing comes of harm to the client. With simulation, the focal point shifts dramatically over to the person who's learning 
whatever the skill is. And that is a huge shift because whatever is happening, you don't need to worry about the welfare of the client. However, within 15 seconds of a session starting, you actually think you're talking to a client. You forget about it being a simulation. So it's got that reality with it, but you can always say pause and as an instructor, have a conversation who's ever sitting in the simulation hot seat and say, hey, what are you, what's going on? What do you think you should be doing? What just happened? And the focal point becomes the learning experience of the person who's doing the simulation. And simulation can be used you know, in university settings. It could be used in advanced clinical settings if someone wants to get their skills expanded. It can be used in so many settings. And I think about flight simulation that is used by very experienced pilots who have to log something like 15 hours a, a year, I think it is, in simulation. As someone's to dedicated most of his professional life to clinical training and innovating clinical training. This is, again, very exciting uh, news. But I'm also thinking what we were talking about a couple minutes ago. Uh, if I'm, a, I'm out of my master's program, and I might even be a, a licensed an LMFT, but I want to get experience, expand my scope of practice, work with the new population. So I'm imagining these interest networks too, or if, if I want to work with, I don't know, let's just say uh, a population that I did not get training on. I want to work with military families or LGBTQ families. I imagine the simulation will help people that are way past graduate school as well as far as honing and developing their clinical skills with new populations. Absolutely. That's just in due time. It's, you know, basically getting it launched and having, let's say, military personnel come up with a script. What are the embedded learning events? And then people who want to learn that, you know, like one of the basic concepts that we hear all the time with military personnel is just learn how people in the military talk, rank, what does that mean, etc. So you're you're knowledgeable about it. Well, you could easily do an assessment with simulation and really work through that and get it right before you have to go live with a client. So yes, that's would be the intention is to be able to blend that into our topical interest networks and help out our members who want to expand their skills. Tell me about this innovation contest for 2019. Oh. Yeah, the innovation contest is one I'm extremely happy about. Uh, you know, I go to the conference, I meet members all over uh, the United States and now the world, and I hear, well, has AMFT thought about doing? Has AMFT thought about doing? And a lot of wonderful ideas that we just, you know, we have to run the association, so there's just so much we can do uh, in terms of technology, if you will. And so we are going to be opening up an innovation challenge to our members. It'll be through the AMFT Research and Education Foundation. It won't be through AMFT, but through the foundation, in which we are going to be inviting proposals for really ideas that push the envelope, are very unique, very new. They got to be original. They, they can't just be building on something that's out there. And uh, the emphasis is on disruption. What what will it disrupt? How will it disrupt uh, our clinical practice? How will it disrupt the profession? And of course, in a good way, but we want to make sure that there is that um, innovation that is 
really at a high level that pushes both the practice and the profession. And it can be, you know, hardware technology, if you will. It can be uh, something in, in terms of policy. And i give you a great idea. I was at a conference, and I think it's the UK or Ireland. I can't quite remember what country it was. But basically, uh, they discovered that barbers were the very first uh, they were the frontline mental health staff, if you will, that knew about men uh, who were going to commit suicide. And they, as they peeled back layers, they found that the barbers were getting a lot of hints that somebody was going to commit suicide and never were putting those hints together. Well, they're barbers. That's not their job. But what they did then was create a program for barbers to have suicide self-harm information in the barbershop. They can go to trainings now and understand what are some of the clues and then how to best help or point someone in the barber chair uh, to get some help. That is a huge difference in terms of policy. That is That was very innovative. So we're looking for any type of idea that sort of takes the profession and the practice and turns it inside out. Um, you know, there they're not relying on family therapist or even mental health professionals to help with suicide. There it was a greater systemic issue and I, I love that because it was using the community, uh, a resource within the community and we're systemic and that's how we think to basically say, hey, there could be a problem here and we're going to open up the challenge for 2019 and see what we get from applications. So very excited to see what this produces. And again, this will unfold as, as the weeks go on as far as the format and how to submit. But if I'm hearing you right, I, I don't have to be a, an academic or a researcher to do this. This is, in fact, I'm hearing you, you want this to be open to all levels of the membership that have innovative ideas, as you said, to disrupt in a good way to kind of break our professional homeostasis, so to speak. You, you want uh, every level of membership to feel like they could contribute to this innovations uh, endeavor. Oh, that's very, very exciting. Um, and when I think of, you know, kind of where we're headed, again, it comes back to these catchphrases that, you know, we use as like member choice, member engagement. And I don't know about you, but uh, I am very proud to be part of the AMFT, uh, not just because uh, I'm a marriage and family therapist and want that. I always tell my colleagues and my students that's I'll do anything. I want this to continue as a distinct profession, not just a way of working or a modality. It is a distinct standalone profession. And to do that, we have to have engaged and active membership. It's it's not just paying your dues. It's about being an active member. So when, when you think of membership mattering, uh, a membership matters, as you and I have often talked about, uh, what do you wish – uh, members knew about AMFT or in your own words, uh, why is it important to belong, uh, to an association like the AMFT? That's a really good question. And you use a great phrase. And that is that membership does matter in AMFT. And one of the things that I think that, uh, most members may, may know, but may only at the, 
intellectual level know when you tell them, but when you actually talk to members and they get the aha, you know, when people pay their dues, yes, that helps, you know, with them being able to get some benefits and access to resources, and it helps pay for the association and what we do. But it goes beyond that, as you said, Eli. Membership does matter because it's more than just paying the dues. And when we look at the numbers, and the numbers have changed pretty pretty much in the last three years. They've been changing significantly. But it's one of those things that now keeps me awake at night. And that is simple, simple math. When we do the math and know that there's about... 62,000 licensed marriage and family therapists in the United States, and that number has grown. I mean, when I started watching it, it was at 50,000. But, you know, at about 62,000, and we have in our association 13,000 clinical fellows, so you can say they are roughly LMFTs, if you will, if they chose to do that. That's 21% of the LMFTs are clinical fellows. That means that of the LMFTs, almost 80% out there are not members of AMFT. And if we take a look and look at AMFT's membership as a whole at around 26,000, that's about 42%, but that includes students too. So it's less than half. It used to be over half. It used to be about 55 to 57%. Now it's less than half, and that's because a lot of people are getting their license, and that's a good thing. But less than half of those that are licensed and that belong to AMFT, we have to do the heavy lifting. So that means just looking at clinical fellows at 21%, 80% of those out there as LMFTs are benefiting by having the license and any job opportunities because AMFT is doing that. AMFT is the one that advances the profession. We're the one who fought the Texas lawsuit to maintain that license. We have fought other, um, you know, licensing boards. We have fought with insurance companies. And, and for the most part, we're doing okay from a success point of view. Now, they don't happen overnight, and that's a long process. But AMFT is the one. We're the only national Marriage and Family Therapy Association representing the practice and profession. So those that are licensed and not part of AMFT benefit from our members. And so when I talk about membership matters, it's we have a very small percentage, 20% if you look at just the clinical fellows, 40% if you look at the entire membership body, that actually has to support the entire profession of which the majority is not part of AMFT. That's why membership matters. It's it goes so far beyond being able to go to a conference or getting health or getting um, insurance benefits or any of the stuff that we often think about. Oh, I pay my dues and this is what I get. It's really about paying the dues and this is how it helps the profession. So that's the part that I really, you know, hope that and I'm glad to hear you say that, you know, you tell the students that and you really say that there's more to this than just it's a way of doing therapy. It is a profession that we believe in and we've got to do the heavy lifting. And membership and membership matters. That's a great way of putting it. In, in the early formation of AMFT, you know, it was about establishing and, and, and getting credibility, not only the for profession as a standalone discipline, but uh, getting licensure in all 50 states. And we've come a long way. And I think some of the thing that bands our older members together is that struggle and that fight. And it, it solidified the field. And, and our younger members 
I mean, it's a wonderful thing that we did before, but they did not have that struggle. They did not have that fight. So part of the reason we talked about, you know, coming up with this podcast is is, is reaching those people. Once you leave the, uh, if you did not know that struggle, uh, and once you leave the kind of furtive environment of your graduate program, you may be the only MFT working in your agency setting or your post-graduation setting. And then your professional identity, uh, it, it is really tied to your organization and, uh, the only way to ensure that in addition to all these great benefits that we talked about today and all these new things coming aboard is, is to be a member. And I think, uh, you know, my experience, um, with AMFT, uh, has been that if you have a talent and you care that there is a place for you and just because the structure has changed in the last two years and we have these topical interest networks now that are not bound by geography, if you are passionate, there is a place, there is a place not only to develop your leadership, but your time and your talent will always be appreciated. So if you've listened to this today and you've been kind of fired up with what Tracy has been sharing and what's coming up, and maybe you've listened uh, and you're not a member. You're an MFT or an MFT in training, but you're not a member. So let's end with Tracy telling us, uh, tell us how uh, is generally, if, if I'm not a member, the easiest way to become a member at any level. But also if, if I have time, talent, passion to dedicate to the profession, how, how do I start doing that? Uh, and how do I give, start giving back to something that has been so important to me if I am someone that has really identified as a marriage and family therapist and want to get more involved? Well, there's a, a that's a great question because there's multiple venues. I mean, the easiest is to go to the website amft.org and there will be a big red button that says join AAMFT. And that's the simplest way to join. Uh, you can go to the contact us and make call to our uh, staff who can help you out through a phone call if you need that. And then if joining, if you join, you, there are many different ways in which to engage because we have right now, when we look at it, I just talked about the topical interest networks, but we have, I think, about 32 uh, geographic interest networks. So all of these networks right now are looking for leaders, they're looking for participants. And so to get yourself involved and to be able to say, yeah, I, I will in a couple of years want to take and be in a leadership role uh, within an interest network would be great. We also have a lot of different ways to engage with AMFT, which is, um, you know, go to the annual conference. You can go to the leadership symposium. Every other year we have an international clinical institute. So in 2019, the, uh, the clinical institute is going to be in Singapore. There are ways to connect and there will be more ways to connect as interest networks start to have their own conferences as well as geographic interest networks having their own conferences so that's all if you're if you're a member that's where you can really access amft and have a high level of participation and if you're not a member and you don't want to join but you still want to help the profession you can certainly give to the practice protection fund or you can give to the uh, pack and if you're into the research and uh, things such as the innovation challenge and uh, faith-based services with immigrant families project there's always contributing to the foundation so there's a lot of different ways to be able to benefit the profession whether it's joining or not joining and for people who want to volunteer and actually participate and get uh, engaged and network with others there's a lot of opportunities 
today, and there will even be more in a couple of years. So we're excited about that. Well, this has been a a really uh, important uh, talk, and I appreciate you kind of ushering in our podcast with telling us about all the really exciting and groundbreaking things that are coming up in the new AAMFT and really ending there with uh, why it all matters, uh, why should I care, and and how, how you can be a part of it. So I know we will talk down the line, and it has been wonderful to have you, and thank you so much, Tracy Todd, for your, your time and your leadership uh, with the AMFT. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. And so brings to a close another informative installment of the AAMFT podcast. I really learned a lot listening to Tracy Todd talking about the new AAMFT. And in today's world, your membership dollars matter. And I always believe I'm neither an optimist nor a pessimist. I'm a realist. And being a realist, you don't get into the profession of marriage and family therapy to make a lot of money. So if you are going to pay membership dollars, you need value in your membership. And the move over the last couple of years, eliminating mandatory two tiers of fee structure and moving to the new AMFT with topical interest groups uh, certainly is a way to focus on what you want to focus on. And as Tracy was saying, you can go to the website aamft.org under the Engage and Network tab, and there you'll see all the topical interest networks, which will do a deeper dive in the weeks and months to come on the podcast. But right now, there's couple and intimate relationships, family therapist and healthcare, family therapist and schools, MFTs working with trauma, queer and trans advocacy network, and systemic therapy across the lifespan. As he said, new interest groups will be forming all the time. We love getting feedback from you, the listener. Easiest way to do that is send us an email to communications at aamft.org. Also, please join the discussion on Twitter. The handle is at the AAMFT. I love hearing from you. Hashtag AAMFT Podcast. Find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, whether that be Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, my personal favorite. Just turn on my iPhone, hit the podcast button. Type in AAMFT and subscribe to the podcast. It really helps to leave a rating and write us a review. Until next week, my friend, stay systemic.